Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, welcome back, Solar Warriors, to another Suncast, another week of learning. And today we're going to be learning about how we can impact the global economy with climate action. And we're talking to an entrepreneur that I'm really excited to interview because I've been following his work for a couple of years. If you are new to Suncast, thank you for giving us the one resource that is non-renewable, and that is your time. I promise we will take dear care of it. I hope that you will enjoy this episode. If you do, will you take some time to rate and review in iTunes or Spotify and just click subscribe and like all the usual things that you do for episodes that you like. And if you don't, give us some feedback. I'd love if you'd reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Nico Mayo. In the meantime, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solo Warrior, as we tune in to another fantastic episode here on Suncast. Well, as I mentioned, today's guest is a change maker named the Green Mark Zuckerberg by France TV. He's the CEO and founder of We Don't Have Time, the world's largest social network for climate action. We'll hear more about what that means and how the idea was formed by Ingmar Rinsog and his partners in a moment. But first, Ingmar, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Really nice to be here. The honor and pleasure is ours, and I am really uh, always. I'm always excited to have someone on from across the pond. Ingmar is an entrepreneur. Uh, he's an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, starting back in his early twenties. And I'll, I'll link to some fun clips that we have of some of his early days. Ingmar and I were joking about how back in our twenties uh, we were hoping to grow up, and because <laughs> often look so young that it's hard to get folks to take you seriously, but Take seriously is what Ingmar's business is all about. We're going to talk about how you have been in the business of creating awareness and influence for the better part of two decades. But Ingmar, I'd love to hear how your early childhood informed your sense of entrepreneurship. As I understand it, you had an interesting family growing up with seven brothers and sisters. Tell me about what it was like growing up with such a large family, the home life of work and how that that sense of work and obligation has created the entrepreneur that you are today. I have six brothers and sisters. I'm the number seven. Um, So it's kind of a little bit different upbringing from most of people here in Western world and and Sweden. Uh, My parents, they had this crazy idea back in the days that they wanted to get back to the basic and and grow their own food and supply the family with with everything they wanted to make themselves. So they moved out to the country uh, in the middle of Sweden, a smaller farm that I w- was raised on. They didn't have any knowledge, basically, so they just learned from scratch how to produce and get a lot of animals, etc. So it was a little bit different upbringing, at least. And uh, uh, the children were also supposed to help out that much. So, so we, we did everything from harvest to do a lot of work on is it daily chores? Is that something that was very early on in your life? You'd get up, you know, crack it on. I grew up on a farm as well, but you get up, yeah. 
as with the sun and start to work before before the day begins? Yeah, m- most of my older older brothers and sisters, I was kind of a little bit more spoiled. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, actually, my my brother that is next to me is seven years older, so I'm kind of the really what do you call it. And uh, he ha- had this computer, and uh, I was really interested in, in playing with the computer and, and also use it to uh, actually code uh, new computer programs, etc. Uh, but it was my, not my computer, so I was supposed to, to do his homework uh, <laughs> in order to, to get time in using the computer. So, so that was, I think, the first step of learning entrepreneurship and doing business. And uh, and actually, I was quite good at it. So, so in a couple of weeks, I started to learn about saying no and negotiate. Like uh, if I was cutting the, doing the dishes, I was supposed to get one hour of using the computer. But I already had 10 hours in, in the account. So, so <laughs> I started to ne- and go, and negotiate and I wanted two hours of computer time of doing one hour so dishes so there was uh, i think my my brother did learn me a lot of lessons on how to to do things in a more to win negation because um, a couple of weeks later he invented this uh, new kind of super computer hours if he has a friend at home i could just throw them out and use the computer if i had this new super power yeah super power you had there but as uh, i go older i i, I got my own computer and and, and then you didn't have to use him. He's... Yeah, <laughs> thankfully. And you grew up in, in Sweden, correct? And you're still in Sweden? Yes, I, I grew up in, in the middle of Sweden, and now I live in Stockholm, the capital. Tell me about your early work career, getting off of the farm. How did you take the early interest in computing and sort of making change in the world and parlay that into your first work experience? I was not into this uh, environment or climate or anything when i was uh, younger uh, i just wanted to to create stuff with, with a computer so i when i started in in the university i was uh, signed up for mathematics and computer science but i got this uh, summer internship at an investment bank uh, and uh, i got stuck because i saw that there was so much to do there and uh, the world of finance uh, didn't really was really underdeveloped uh, compared to the world of communication. Uh, so instead of starting using my skills of computer programming, I started to use my skills of communicating. And I think that is something I had really early on because when you have so many brothers and sisters, you need to win the argument at a really young age. So I, I was really good at argumenting and communicating. And so that was something I... I had a lot of experience, but not from school, but more of an experience. So uh, I got stuck in the investment bank industry for many, many years. And two years after this summer internship, I, I started my first company with my first client was the old investment bank that I was uh, working for. Fantastic. And what did that company focus on? The company were focusing on uh, investor relation and communication. So we helped uh, everything from insuring companies, uh, asset managers and banks uh, to entrepreneurs, uh, startups to communicate to investors, basically. Yeah, it was, it was essentially a PR firm, but specifically focused on investor relations. So creating and strengthening their internal communications ability to speak to the investors and to speak to potential investors. Is that correct? Yeah. So everything from how, to, how what you're going to say and, and how to reach the right audience. So how did you stumble across the idea that 
issues around climate were something that needed to be addressed and that needed a better communications platform? For me, I started to look into this, um, the state of the planet when I got my first child. Uh, that today is eight years old and I also have three children today. So, so that was the starting point when I started to actually look at the world in a little bit longer time frame. Instead of thinking of what to do next year, I started to think what's happening in, in my daughter's life when she grows up, etc. Uh, and I started to read more and get interest more of, of how the situation with the planet are. And uh, I got so shocked when I started to educate about this because the climate change was not what I was taught about something that are happening in the future. It's actually something that are happening here and now and affects already many, many people. But our world leaders were just ignoring it. And most people didn't even know about this problem. And, and those that knows about it, they knew about it. They were afraid of telling the truth because they thought they were scaring people away. So that was the starting point when I started to care. But the tipping point when I started, when I decided to do something myself and, and, and dedicate my time to do it was actually when Donald Trump won the US election four years ago. It became so clear to me that the world leaders will not act upon this problem. And if the people are asleep, the world leaders are not acting, nothing will ever happen. That was the point where I decided that uh, to do something about this. And I have so much experience from how to communicate about finance and reach many people. I realized that I could use those skills. And instead of communicating complex finance products, I could communicate about complex climate change problems and also use the methodologies of building networks on the internet, et cetera, to, to reach and, and, and connect many people and have them to work together. And that was where the idea to create a social network to focus on the climate action was uh, born in the same, I think it was the, just the day after Donald Trump won that election. So I have much to thank to him, I will say. Yeah, that's a, that's always interesting when uh, in the climate race we we can pinpoint exactly not only how we got engaged but being able to identify who was uh an an impetus or a a a catalyst in in that moment you don't hear many people say that donald trump uh, spurred them to action on climate Um, i love that and one of the things that i have really come to appreciate about you ingmar is you have honed quite a useful skill at creating content, but also creating awareness in unique ways. Uh, I think chief among them, the name of your company is called We Don't Have Time. And We Don't Have Time, it's a call to arms. It's an opportunity for us to recognize that we have to do work now. And there's a sense of urgency. You know, you and I met in a networking community of global uh, of global folks working on climate change. And I'll never forget the first time I saw you post, we don't have time with the hashtag. I thought, oh, that's a really nice hashtag. And it dawned on me, wait, this is his entire, this is his brand. This is how Ingmar is building his company. So tell me a bit about how you you go from creating this public relations firm focused on uh, investor relations to building you know, the European sort of, as, as you've been dubbed the, the green Mark Zuckerberg, sort of the European climate focused social network that is, we don't have time. Uh, and I'd like to hear more as well about your involvement with the UN and the climate reality project and ways that you've begun to 
anchor the message in important areas? The name I came up with just, I think it was a couple of days after, after that Donald Trump victory speak. Uh, and I googled it and uh, no one were using it uh, actually. Now it's many, many people using the, this for, term uh, for many things, um, but most the climate issue. And I thought this was a really good name because uh, we don't, really don't have time, uh, but we do have time to act, but we don't have time to wait. I mean, I've been working with marketing uh, my, my whole career before and we don't have time is a negative term. It's something you're not supposed to name your company for. But when, when you know the rules of commu- how to communicate, you can also break them and do it the exact opposite. And that's exactly what I've been doing with, with it. We don't have time. And so many people were actually advising against this name or you're crazy. This is very negative, et cetera, et cetera. But hey, the problem is very negative. You must realize the reality. And we don't have time is a call to action. When we did the first crowdfunding, I had this seminar with like 20 special invited people that I wanted to invest in a company. And one of the uh, potential investors that I had invited was actually my contact that had helped my previous company with, uh, uh, he was a lawyer, actually eight, five years old. So he's a really, really experienced lawyer still in practice uh, that helped to to register brands uh, in, in, in and they have them registered trademarks, etc. And when he heard his name, he jumped on it and was the first investor in the company. And it was actually quite heavy sum of 50,000 euros. So it was like he just jumped on the name as a really experienced lawyer in the field. So that was the point that I realized that the name is one of our greatest assets, I would say. And, and you've definitely been able to create quite a following, more than 85,000 followers on Twitter, I know that you have some statistics I'd love to drill down to in terms of the general level of influence that you've been able to create. But as a network, why did you decide that the business model for We Don't Have Time, rather than being a PR and marketing agency focused on climate, that you would build a network? It was very early on. And the analysis was actually, why are everyone failing? Uh, regarding the climate. You have so so many NG, non-profit organizations working for change, and they have done a tremendous job on, on many areas, but they haven't succeeded to create change uh, in order to, to solve the climate crisis yet. What I were looking for was something that creates change in a really, really fast way on a global scale. So I was looking at examples of organizations that have done that previously. And what I saw was social media. The social media platform, they have changed the world for better and for worse, but they have changed it in just 10 to 15 years timeframe. Could we become one of them, but focus on doing good and solve the climate crisis? I think we have a recipe for really, really huge impact. The reason why we are building our own platform is that if you, if you want to have the power of social media, you need to make up your own rules. You can't be dependent on what what Facebook thinks you should promote on their algorithms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this uh, was something that also has been. I mean, I now know that how, how important this is because when we launched our own platform, for instance, Facebook shut down all our ads, so we were, we were not allowed to market on Facebook anymore the day after we launched our platform. They make up their own rules. And as you can see here in the world, 
There are not many platforms out there, social network platforms. It's just maybe 10 large platforms. The reason for that is that they are really working to preserve that monopoly or oligopoly in order to make a better rules for climate and where you will not allow fossil fuel industry to share doubt, etc. is that you may you have to make build your own platform. And that is exactly what we are doing. Well give me some stats around the uptake. I mean many here in the United States at least, probably in Latin America, a lot of lots of listeners as well won't have heard we don't have time. Um, you've been, been primarily focused on the European market. I know that you've got global users. Give us a sense of where you're seeing centers or pockets of interest and what the overall usage is and some statistics around views and things like that. What, what we have built uh, is something, it's not just Europe, I would say. We actually, we have only 30% of our users are Europe-based. The rest are the rest of the world, all continent. What we are doing is not... We haven't created a social network where we have, you know, ever have hundreds of millions of users. We don't need that in order to change the world. We only need to connect those in the forefront, wherever they are in the world. They could be based in, in Africa, they could be based in South America or USA or, or Europe. What we do is to have them to connect with each other and work together, regardless of where they live in the world, because this is a global problem. So today we have 30 thousand core members of our network that use it they in turn have a much more larger reach because our social network works very differently from other social network we haven't built this to replace the big large platforms we have built this to to be a complement content created on our platform is really accessible and shareable on other social media we measure our reach on, on the whole social media space and Today, we have a social media reach of a little bit over 25 million each month. The content created on our platform is created by people that want to solve the climate crisis, that are really have high knowledge about that, and are shared on all social media and influence more, many, many more people that are not into the climate today. You mentioned 40,000 members, and that I presume it's a free membership. I've looked at the website and suggest yeah. there's a free membership. Is it 40,000? active members or what's the what is the actual active daily or monthly usage look like i'm trying to get a picture of how when and why folks actually go to the we don't have time platform versus other social ways they can engage we have about thousand people active in our app every single day uh so but but many people are using it kind of not not as frequent as uh, other social media where you spend like two hours per day on Facebook. Time is uh, maybe more like 10 or 15 minutes on our platform. But you use it uh, when, when you want to have a dialogue with our leaders. So the way we have created this is that uh, instead of having this discussion about companies and also governments, they could have the discussion with companies and, and, uh, and governments on our platform. So what we have created is a kind of combination between a social network and a rating platform. So on our platform, if you think a business do something great for the climate, you could send them climate lab. And if 100 people agree on that, uh, we are contacting that business and have them to answer and thanking for it and get to know it. And, and we also share it on, on all social media and our members share it on their social media. So we share a lot of climate love for businesses and governments that are doing the right thing. But if your business are doing the wrong thing, we can also share, we can also create a climate warning on a platform. 
that will be shared as well. And the more people that agrees on the reviews on our platform, the more outreach our team doing. We have, for instance, one new partnership with a, a newspaper in, in New York that is going to write articles based upon reviews created on a platform. And this is what we call crowdsourced journalism. I think it's the first initiative in the world where the news are written because what you, anyone could, could engage in on the platform. And if enough people think that is an interesting subject, they will write an article after it. So, so our platform is very much about democratizing the world and have many, many more people engage in the transition to fossil-free society and also find and work on solutions together. I mean, the numbers are, are really impressive. 25 million impressions a month, a uh, thousand daily users getting you know, anywhere from 10 to uh, 10 minutes to an hour of use on the platform. I really love the idea of what you just said, this idea of crowdsourced journalism, creating a community where we as uh, citizen journalists can raise awareness either for companies that we think are doing the right thing within our own community. We see Miguel and others who often do this, right? Ferenc is one who constantly is elevating the visibility of companies in his sphere of influence. And the idea as well that we can create climate warnings by saying, hey, <laughs> what this company is doing just isn't right. It's fascinating that media outlets are starting to take note. I'd love to hear if there are sort of tried and true models from the past couple of decades that you've employed at We Don't Have Time that others listening might think about from their own perspective of corporate marketing and just getting people's attention. What tools or, or models have worked for you in the past that you're using now that we don't have time? Network, 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 network. Instead of uh, you are in the center of everything, previously you talked about that not so many people are aware about we don't have time in the US. No, they're not aware about our name. They are, are aware about that uh, Donald Trump is not in power anymore, right? We have played a part in that. Not we as an organization, but the people in our network has played an important role in the and letting that happen. So the network effect is super important. Instead of taking credit for everything that is happening with your brand, you just need the people to meet and do stuff and let the action be in center. So the power of the network is super essential. That is something I realized when I, when I was running my previous firm. We had a network of 100,000 investors in Sweden. That was really powerful because if you had a great investment ID, those people would like to invest in your company. We were not having our firm focusing on that. We were letting the network meet and talk to each other. And suddenly you have this network power. And this is the reason why I believe that it's so important that we are making new rules of how those networks develops. We can't be dependent on, on Facebook only to make up their rules because they just want to make a product out of everyone in their network. We don't want to make a product on, on our members in our network. We don't even have ads. We're not interested in that. What we are interested in is to have the people in our network do as much climate action as possible. That's the main objective. So, so to answer your question, network is the most important thing. And, and that is what we are doing. We are creating networks. Hey, my friend. Today, Ingmar and I are talking about 
all the ways that you can learn how to be a good global citizen over at wedonthavetime.org. And one fun way that you can participate is next Thursday, April 22nd, yes, Earth Day 2021. I'm going to be one of the speakers at Financing the Race to Zero. I would encourage you to go register. We don't have time.org forward slash Earth Day. Join me in the Race to Zero. Back in February, fellow solar warrior Ravi Mickelson revealed in episode 345 that the world's top banks funneled nearly $2 trillion into fossil fuels since the Paris Accord signing, despite their lip service towards climate and renewables. If that gets under your skin as much as it did mine, then let Ravi's fast-growing fintech banking platform, Atmos, help you align your purpose with your pocketbook, your cause with your cash. And you can know that it's never supporting interests or industries misaligned with your personal mission. Start your financial journey at joinatmos.com forward slash suncast. Hey, by now, I'm sure you've probably heard about our mission-minded program, getting your dream job in clean energy in 12 weeks. Our current cohort has given us great feedback and kudos, I might add, as they go through the material and our coaching calls. You can see more about what this program looks like at suncast.vip. That's our brand spanking new webpage to talk about the mission-minded program. That's also where you can send friends, family, neighbors, colleagues that you know who might need a little extra help, a little guidance to find that dream job in clean energy. Our mission-minded program cohort is ongoing right now. We are taking a waiting list for our next cohort. I'd encourage you to do two things. One, send anyone you know that might be interested. Two, those of you who are so inclined, please go check out suncast.vip and email me, nico at mysuncast.com. Ingmar, you mentioned something that is anathema to most folks who think about social media and that idea is that I would do this for something other, something altruistic rather than what's in it for me. I've got such a limited amount of time in my day, there are a few things that I want to drill down on here that you're intentionally being countercultural on. The first is how we spend the limited time that we don't have, that we don't have time. How do we spend that time, especially in a world where I already am using Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, maybe TikTok, a handful of other areas to try and create influence? How would you suggest that I carve out time to also be involved in the we don't have time community? Uh, I think it's important to realize that you had a really great opening for this podcast, and that is uh, time is the only not renewable resources we have, and that's really true. What I normally say to people that ask me, do you have an advice of what I can, the most important thing I can do for the climate? I always answer your time. You spend your time very wisely. And with that, I mean everything. I mean what kind of work you do. If you can choose a better work, and you will do more good for the climate, do that. The people you're talking to, how are you using that time? Do that. When you still talk to people, bring up the climate issue, even if it's uncomfortable, it's important. When you do climate action, spend some time or inspire other people to do it by joy, so more people will take off your climate action. And when you use social media, instead of only talking to like-minded people that most social media are constructed to help you do, get out of your comfort zone and talk to people are not awakening about the climate uh, yet. That is the most impact you can do. And, and for that, we have created the We Don't Have Time platform. Our platform, you're not discussing with climate deniers, but that's a kind of waste of, of time and energy. Instead, 
what you can do on our platform is to talk to the leaders. I mean, we have had those dialogues on our platform with everything from the president of Brazil to Jeff Bezos, to the Environment Minister of Norway, to corporate leaders and governments. You can talk to them directly on our platform. We will help you to reach the leader and we will help them to, to answer you and you will have a constructive dialogue. And that is something you could spend time on the wheel on a time platform. It maybe not give you so much joy, but it will help you influence the board and Hopefully, we will have a much longer time here on the planet. So a question in the back of everyone's mind, since you said you don't have ads, how do you make money? We are a combination of a social network and a rating platform. And our business model is very similar to other rating platforms. I don't know if you're familiar with a company named Trustpilot. When you buy something from, from a store on, on internet, you can rate if they have good service or, or bad service or good products or, or bad product. And you don't do that on the site you're visiting. You're doing that on, on their site because they have the trust and, and rules that you can't cheat on the rating system. And for that, they have a subscription service where their businesses that use their platform pays a monthly fee to use the rating platform. And we have the exact same business model. So, so the, our platform is free to use, but the businesses and governments and organization that wants to use our platform to engage with our audience and be transparent about the climate action, they pay us a monthly fee. Got it. And so they, they pay a fee to be able to communicate to your users what their sustainability and climate-oriented goals are and to allow the community to help basically rate up whether or not they're doing a good job of meeting those goals. Is that somewhat accurate? They are using our platform to engage with our community and also invite their own stakeholders to improve their climate action. So they want to know how they can improve their climate action. They want to have the feedback from everyone and and our platform is the way of how they can get it. Only because I'm trying to make sure I'm really clear on the different use cases and models. Why would they want to pay when there's a free option? What advantage would, let's say, LightSource BP, a major international IPP in the UK and the United States, why would they want to pay on the platform versus just have some of their executives be free users? Our platform is free to use for individuals. But if you're a corporate or a government, you need to unlock uh, functionality in order to use it fully functional. But we have a basic business profile that is free to use. And the only thing you can do on that profile is to answer if you have been given reviews uh, from the community. But if you want to do more and also create your own content and show our community that you are open for climate dialogue, that you want feedback, you need to, to become a partner with us. And it's really cheap. I mean, I'm talking about a monthly fee between from 100 euros up to 1,000 euros per month. And if you compare that to what, what companies and organizations are paying social media to do ads, it's, it's nothing. So it's really, really affordable. Yeah. No, of course, they're paying, if they're doing it properly, they're paying six figures yeah. in monthly ads to generate. Yes. But we don't want a business with a big marketing budget to have a larger reach compared to a business with a smaller marketing body, we want to have the equal rules in order to, the, mo- the best action is the ones uh, that should be focused, not your marketing body. What career did you always think that you would go do, but, but ended up not? Like, what's the career path that you ended up not going down? 
Yeah, okay. So, no, that's easy to answer. I always thought that I were going to be an entrepreneur within IT and, and use my skills of coding. But as soon as I got this job in the finance industry, I, I, I didn't do any coding anymore because it was so much more that could be created by doing business and communication and stuff. But it seems like you are using the coding skills now because you have to manage a team that's coding a platform. Yeah, yeah very, very much. And, and the reason why I'm also or have so much knowledge about social media is that when I was actually going to high school, me and a friend, we developed our own social network long before Facebook and everything, long before internet. You had those uh, bulletin board system where, where computer geeks could use the phone lines to call other computers. And uh, the social media was like, you, you log in, you wrote a message and uh, Five hours later, you can log in again and see if someone had answered it. Because the concept of social media was exactly the same. It's not a new invention with Facebook. It's just a new invention to use internet to do it. What you had back then was that you had all those different kind of, of social media with different kind of interests. So you have a social media for people that were interested in techno. You had a social media for people interested in hacking computers and you don't have that anymore, and I'm very, very certain that we're we're not in the future, and we're not going to see this monopoly of, of like five, ten big social media. We're going to see a much more uh, diverse social media space. So I think we're going there again. So we'll see a return now. Now that LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter have created the idea that social media is a cultural cornerstone, we will. Uh, revert back now to affinity groups where we can use social media and social networks as a way to find other like-minded individuals. Yeah, that you don't know previously. And I, also, I think you're, you're going to have those big, large platform also exist, coexist with, with those more niche. And, and we are one of the niche platforms uh, for the future. So Ingmar, as an entrepreneur, what would you say are, are the top one or two problems that for you represent sort of constant roadblocks or headaches that you have to overcome to get people understand what we're doing and, and that's really frustrating because my my skills are in the communication field but it's still very hard for me to 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 explain to investors and to to partners what 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 we actually are doing i mean many people like what they see but they don't really understand what we do. And the reason for that is that I, I, me and my team, we have created something from a different angle that is not so common when you create a new company or organization. Most entrepreneurs, they are either creating their business regards to how to please the user. If you take Spotify, for example, they have created their platform because people love to listen to music. So they are providing a very easy way to, to listen to music. And they have a revenue stream of, of the companies that wants to sell the music to, to that audience. That's one thing to do it. Another thing to do it is that you focus on the ones that are paying for the service, like businesses. You could take a Swedish tech company, Klarna, for example. They help internet online business to, to clarify the payment. And they are growing insanely because what they have done is make it very easy for a shop on the internet to, to to get paid have a customer interface and get paid so collecting what, what, what company was that i missed the name Klarna. Klarna. how do you spell it uh k-l-a-r-m-a 
Uh, it's a, it's okay. a really it's a unicorn from Sweden, and they have created a business for for how for a need of other businesses regarding the social network. We don't have time. We have not created this to focus on the users to make something that they think is fun or entertainment to use or is really useful. We have not created this for the companies. We have created We Don't Have Time for the cause because the world needs a platform where you have this rating of companies going on where you have an open and transparent dialogue about who is doing good progress regarding the climate, who is doing bad progress regarding the climate. So what we are focusing on is to actually change the system. We have created this because it it needs to exist, not because that consumers, users or companies understand that they want it to exist. So we have created this because we need this to be a tool to help the world solve the climate crisis. I don't think we're unique in that, but it's uh, not so common to create a company without having focusing on the user or the customer. We are focusing on the problem. That's our main priority to solve. What our mission is, is really uh, why we're doing what we do. We have a total upside down regards how to do business today. If you are hurting the planet, that's often the most profitable thing to do because it costs nothing. It's zero cost to destroy nature, to destroy the, to the climate, almost zero cost. So it's really, really profitable today to do the wrong thing regards our planet. Uh, if you do the right thing, like it's a lot of solutions out there, how to, for instance, make uh, fossil-free steel or how to produce energy in a better way, but it's more expensive. Uh, so most people are not doing the more expensive thing, but because they are can't make profit out of it or it's harder to make profit. It's not the easy way. So why we have created We Don't Have Time is to flip that upside down. We want companies and leaders that are doing the right thing get credit for it so that they will get an advantage from those that are doing the bad things. Uh, And that is the missing part. If we could have capitalism to work in the way where it's profitable to do the right thing, and where you are not making profit or doing the wrong thing, we will fix the climate. We will, we will actually be on to the solving the world problem. We will be so much better off. And I think that is the missing part. And, and many environmental organizations, they're only focusing on penalty companies and leaders that are doing the wrong thing. But if that is going to work in an efficient way, we must also encourage those that are doing the right thing. The carrot and the stick, we can't forget the carrot. It's super important. And that is what you can do on our platform with the Climate Lab. I just want to, uh, I want to say that if we were in an, an audience right now, folks would uh, <laughs> cheering for you. I think that that was really well said. I'm inspired. I literally wanted to clap. You probably saw like, I, back, I almost like wanted to just cheer for you for a second. Like you're on a roll here. There's some things that I want to make sure we get time to, to answer, but how big of a team have you invested in to build this platform? We are 15 people today. Uh, and about a half distributed team or all in Sweden. Uh, no, we're kind of spread out. About half is in Sweden and half is spread out in the world. And we're going also to open an office in Washington in a couple of months from now. So we're in Washington State, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also in in Kenya, we're going to open an office. So we're we're going to expand. In Kenya, 
Yeah. Oh, this, that's is like global, this is a global problem, and we can't forget Africa. It's super important. Absolutely. I completely agree. Before we head into a different segment here where I ask a little bit more about influences in your life, I'd like to hear about what you think on the topic of influence. What are the keys based on your two decades of creating millions of impressions? Are they, What are the keys to creating influence and getting attention? Creating a wave, I would say. To get the ocean moving, uh, it's really the butterfly effect. Uh, if, if you if you have the direction, things will happen in a positive way. But you really hard how and what is going to happen. But if you see that you move things in the right direction and you could get many people synchronize on that, change will happen. And social media is a very good way of creating those waves. I would say. What one thing beyond joining? We don't have time as a platform and as a mission. What one thing could corporate marketing and comms teams be doing better that they aren't doing right now? They could focus on, um, instead of telling people what they do, instead of bragging, they can listen and include uh, their stakeholders uh, in that process. I mean, their customers, their employee and, and the society at large. So be much better to, to listen. Many companies are really afraid of being called out greenwashing. I mean, I don't like greenwashing myself, but I'm really, really skeptical of the term greenwashing because often greenwashing inside a company is because you have one person in the company that really wants this company to do something. He or she is not succeeding. So the company has has higher ambition than they deliver on. This is kind of common in, 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 in a private life as, uh, as well. You have an ambition of who you want to be, and you have the person that have the bad habits and are not being that high ambition. And of course, you can't brag about your ambition. You should brag about your action. But a good way to, to actually, instead of many people are like, okay, so we don't communicate at all because we don't want to be called out greenwashing. That is not a good thing because... If you're doing action and you don't tell anyone, you will not have an impact. You will not influence people and, and we will not solve the climate crisis. So it's super important to do, the, to do the action and communicate what you do. But in a way to do this in a way where you're not bragging or, or risking of being uh, people telling you that you're greenwashing, uh, you can do like this. We are a company. We are doing this action, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we want to improve. Tell us how to be better. Because everyone needs to improve their climate action. It doesn't exist a company that is perfect uh, or, or an individual. Every one of us needs to improve. And we need to be humble about that. And we need to invite people to help us on that journey. So, so engage your stakeholders, I will say. That's a great and counterintuitive sort of, as you say, upside down marketing tactic where you say, hey, we've taken the following action and we acknowledge that it's not enough. How can we do better? I think that where this did get done right uh, in many different organizations in the last six months here in the United States is through the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of companies saying, hey, we're really proud of some of the accomplishments that we've made and some of the diversity that we've achieved, but we recognize it's not enough. Where can we find resources? How can we do this better? And I think that if companies, to your point, had that level of vulnerability and still, I think folks are going to see sometimes as a humble brag, right? But if they had that level of vulnerability to say, this is what we're doing, how can we do more? How can we help uh, more? Who should we be partnered with? 
you're right. They'd get they'd get some insight from their stakeholders. Yeah, but they need to be honest. They can't just get the feedback and and, and ignore it. So you, you need to do something with the feedback. Inside of the we don't have time platform, are there affinity groups as well broken down like solar, wind, geothermal, uh, carbon capture? How do how does the community itself bifurcate? Uh, not yet. Uh, so that is something we're developing right now, actually. So that, so that if you want to find solution in, in renewable energy or energy storage, uh, we have so much information on our platform, but it's kind of hard to find it. So what we're developing now is a taxonomy where you're going to call, where users can sort information and, and find it on, on different uh, subjects and then sort it in, uh, in different, so you can do that in the future. The best sorting machine that we have is the human brain at the moment. I'm curious, given that you have seen so much data and information coming through the platform, do you have a sense using that sorting machine, what affinity groups are sort of globally in the climate conversation gaining the most momentum? Is there any particular area or group that you think are just nailing it time and time again, they're getting the messaging right, that the solar and wind and energy storage folks that I represent most often could learn from? What's actually are trending in our platform, I would say, is good solutions. We are doing this a little back, backwards. Instead of companies posting what they do, our members are posting what companies are doing. So if you're doing a good action, that is what people love on our platform. And the action that are actually very popular on the, on the platform is something that many people could relate to. Uh, often it's also nature-based solutions, uh, I would say. Okay, so like planting trees. Yeah, it could be, but, but more or less how to produce food in a more sustainable way, uh, more that kind of solution, or or how a store have get rid of all the plastic and still can sell the same products by doing it smarter together with the customers, that kind of action. That's really helpful as well in terms of framing the kinds of conversations happening on the uh, what I've dubbed the WDHT, we don't have time platform in my notes, at least is WDHT is faster to write. But Ingmar, I could ask you a dozen more questions just about the platform itself. I'm fascinated by your take on how to create awareness and gain influence, uh, but gain influence not that focuses on you, notably you don't appear as the face per se. You're not the Mark Zuckerberg, the way that Zuckerberg was for Facebook. What are for you some influences or, or lessons, key takeaways from mentors in your life or career that have helped form who you are as a leader? I would say it's my, um, I think um, my father, my own father is a, a huge inspiration. He showed me that uh, everything is possible and uh, he has also been working uh, the whole his life in order for creating something much more important than it is for him personally. My father is actually expert in museums, and when I was a child, I was running around in museums, and and uh, uh, he also listened a lot to me as a child on how to to build uh, exhibitions. Uh, so it was uh, a really great space to just see what is possible to make, and also that is. Uh, the most important thing is not what you do for yourself, it is what you do for the next generation because preserving history is all about preserving the memory of humankind is something that is very important, not just for who lives today, but also what is important to, 
to the future generation and and regards to climate i mean one very very scary part about the climate crisis is that we are actually in, in risk of erasing the whole human history uh, because um, it's going to be very hard to see what has happened in previously if we for instance if, if the world is going to be destroyed and all the humans are going to to like live in the north pole or something like that my mind is just flooded now with images of you running around in museums, not running around perhaps, but sort of being present in museums as your father contemplates, what is the most compelling way to fashion this exhibit that will grab attention, that will draw someone into this artifact? It's probably too psychoanalytical for this episode, but... Actually, there's still an exhibition that is one of the... It's a museum here in Stockholm called Nordiska Museet, the Nordic Museum. Uh, and they have this child uh, exhibition how it was to live in, in, in the past, like in, in the 18th century or something like that. And, and I was actually one of the main advisors on how to build that because I was like 10 years old when, when my father did it together with, with his colleagues. And I also, it was supposed to be the, to the royalty children that was supposed to, when you start an exhibition, uh, you have this uh, cutting the ropes and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, ribbon cutting. Yeah, Raven Cadden. It was supposed to be the royal children here in Sweden, but they were sick or something. So I was a stand in. So I did it together with a famous author, Astrid Lindgren. Uh, so that is a dear memory in, uh, from my childhood. So this this exhibition still exists. So if you go to Stockholm, please go to the Nordic Museum and visit Leakstugan, the, the playground. I'm adding it to my bucket list as we speak. That's I have never spoken about this at any podcast regarding the climate. So this is the first time. <laughs> yes, this is a, that's that's the it's the it's the pinnacle of of Suncast interviews when the guests. But, set. but never, some curiosity, one of my older brothers now works at this museum and also worked with their new climate exhibition that is called the Arctic. So they have a really great climate exhibition there now as well. Ingmar, I'm gonna at the risk of a non sequitur, but in the interest of wrapping the interview up in, in a little bow with some of the things that the Suncast tribe have come to expect. I'd be curious to know if there is anything in particular that you're reading or platforms that you frequently visit that inform how you think about leadership or climate leadership or, or both as a topic or that, that, you, that you share frequently within your company, within your social group. I have two to very limited time to read, unfortunately. Uh, I should do that um, a lot more. My, my time is, too much time is spent on social media. Uh, my, my daughter sometimes says that I'm, I'm married to, to my phone. What should I say to that? I would say that what, what inspires me is very much uh, leaders that are doing action uh, wherever they are. More than leaders that are writing a book on how to do things. I, I'm more interested of seeing what is happening here and now and so so of course there's a lot of great books out there but i will certainly say that i'm really inspired of people just doing stuff regards to climate and and there's so many out of those people uh, it's it's a real uh, moment growing out there with people from from very various background uh, that you don't imagine are really doing stuff for the climate have you curated uh, any Twitter lists or or the like that folks would want to? I see that you have tons of lists on the We Don't Have Time Twitter 
account. Is that a reference that I should give folks? I think that is a little bit many, many people that have added me to lists uh, more than we have added them. Uh, but Twitter actually have something that is quite very good functionality on their platform and they have this verified system. So if someone is verified, they are probably someone that are that are famous or, or, a, or a political leader or a business leader. Uh, and uh, it's a great space to, to track those verified users because they are often having a platform outside of Twitter. So if you get their attention, that could have a much larger impact of creating attention outside the Twitter space. So follow as much verified users talking about the climate as possible. And, and you can find a lot of them following the Weedon of Time platform. But, but I mean, don't spend so much time on Twitter. Spend it on Weedon of Time instead. WeDonTheTime.org. That's how you sign up. But we have a good relationship with Twitter, I would say. So Twitter is a great way to reach uh, a lot of people that are not into the climate space already. I think it's about 288,000 CEOs active on Twitter. So if you want to reach business corporate leaders, Twitter is a great way to do it. And if you want to have a dialogue with them, we don't have time is the great way to do it. The power punch of contact on Twitter and connect on we don't have time. Beyond we don't have time.org, which we'll clearly link to on the show notes of this episode, where do you like to be found? How can folks read more of what you're putting out in the world and, and, and learn more about you? I really like LinkedIn because LinkedIn is a space where you have less crazy people and people are talking about their professional life and climate action is now very much about what you do in your professional life. So LinkedIn is a great space where you're happy to connect with, with, with people. Yeah, and it's how you and I met. So I'm grateful for your presence on LinkedIn. But the best space is, of course, in real life. So you should not forget to talk to people in the real life outside the social media space. But that is a little bit hard to do now in the middle of Corona. Although lots of folks uh, are uh, more open to scheduling 5, 10, 15 minute interview, uh, you know, phone calls and interviews. One of the things that I find, my hack for that as well, by the way, because I do like conversations with you, I am able to get on the phone with folks that would seem otherwise hard to reach. And I've found that there are two things that are crucial. The first is to suggest it doesn't have to be now, but sometime in the next two weeks. Almost anyone can find a spot in the next two weeks. Three weeks is kind of the maximum they can hold in their head. And to suggest, look, I just would love 15 minutes to hear more about what you're doing to see if there's any way I can support you, right? So how can I help you? Can I get 15 minutes of your time in the next two weeks? And then I'll often follow up if they don't respond with a suggestion of, hey, I'm going to be free during this three-hour block on Friday. Does any 15-minute chunk in their work, let me know and I'll send you a call invite. And then they're more than willing to jump on a Zoom call. That's a great advice. For me, it's a little bit very special with this, uh, how everything, everyone now are using digital meeting tools. Uh, because when when we started We Don't Have Time, we were one of the first organizations that, that were actually using digital meetings and digital tools in order to reach out to a global audience. So already in 2018, we hosted the world's first climate conference on a global level. Now everyone do this, but we were one of the first doing it, or, or the first on a global level. Yep. Do you have anything coming up in 21 that we would want to follow? Yeah, we're going to host three uh, big climate action summits, totally free to view. Uh, and uh, the first one will be on uh, Earth Day, 22nd of April. Uh, the theme will be how to finance the race to zero. 
So it will be all about investment and finance. And we do this together with the London School of Economic, Rantam Institute, Arfti Network, Exponential Roadmap, and many, many, and Ericsson and many, many other organizations and business in the forefront. And we're going to have so much incredible speaker lineup. Last year, we did Arfti uh, Week with 100 speakers that you can still access if you go to our webpage. So you don't miss any, any of our content if you sign up to the regionaltime.org. I'm going to sign up to the newsletter, which I haven't done. And certainly I'll be checking out more of the uh, the race to zero for uh, Earth Day. If it's anything like your past events, it's going to be phenomenal. I'd encourage folks to check it out. Well, Ingmar, listen, we're out of time here, but I want to end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. And I imagine you have several. But what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball for climate action in 2021? I mean, 2021 is going to be a, such a crucial year because I think now it's things uh, going have started for real, uh, and, and the business community has awakening. So, in in just two three years, everyone will be focusing on the action. I will say, uh, this is not a trend that will pass. This is something that will just grow and grow and grow. If you want to find work in the future, I think the the competence that businesses that will scream after is people that know something uh, on a high level, the climate. If you have this combination, that is something that uh, businesses will will fight to, to get your talent on board. Uh, so if you want to educate on something, educate on climate and some other aspect. Maybe if you have experience in one field, you can educate yourself about the climate and you will become an expert in that field and can do so much change. That is something that is happening. Another thing that is happening really, really fast is the electric vehicle revolution. It's really funny to see those car companies that are are supposed to stop selling internal combustion cars in like 2040 or something like that and they like bragging about it it's crazy it's like hearing nokia bragging about that they will start selling smartphones on in 10 years from now i mean car companies that are not going to sell 100 percent electric vehicles in five years will be taken out of business no one will buy old cars with with worse technology with a higher price electric cars will be cheaper in just three to four years from now. And it's already better. So that is uh, very obvious. I will say buy some shares in car companies, uh, not just Tesla, other car companies that are that are going to, to roll out electric vehicles out there. Indeed. There's a ton of specs. We could go down a whole, uh, a whole and line. I have so much other to say, but, but the, 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 those are, are two trends that I see. No doubt. Oh, man, I think I'll have, uh, have you back on and we'll do a trend spotting episode. With you, and, and, and renewable energy, of course. I think uh, what's going to grow there is uh, companies that are really successful that will provide people with renewable energy like solar panels and finance them for them. So you don't need to inv- do the investment yourself. You can just get them financed and they will make revenue and the revenue will be larger than, than, than how much the finance cost. And that will speed up things and you will know, know you should... You have no excuse to not put solar on your roof uh, when that happens. And that is going to happen also in a couple of from now and a couple of years later. No one will use their money to invest in solars. They will just have the finance them, uh, themselves. And it's going to be so huge money flow into this system. Uh, you're going to see so many creative financial 
solutions out there that will love those low risk opportunities of having people create and sell their energy to a, to a price where they can pay for, for the financial costs. Well, it's refreshing the notion that uh, the asset class that we've been investing in for the past 15 years is uh, now being becoming a low risk investment with stable and reliable yields uh, long term. And I agree with you. It is it is going to be the greatest transfer of wealth and opportunity in in our lifetime, possibly in the last two lifetimes. <laughs> so I'm eager about it. Well, I'm also really grateful to have had a chance to chat with you, Ingmar. I look forward to having you back on the show. I, I can just make one more prediction. And oh, I, and sure. is, I, I think the cost of energy will be, could be the same as the cost of finance. Okay. Can you elaborate? Uh, how much does it cost to, to invest in solar panels? Uh, what, what is the finance cost of that? That will be the cost of energy. Help me drill down to that. So what it costs to finance solar, I guess, can be looked at in different ways because we could look at it in terms of the the return rate, which in the U.S. Uh, is somewhere between six and eight percent unlevered for utility scale solar. Yeah, but that is why. But that's because you sell it to the grid, and the grid have a market price. But the market price for energy will be the investment cost to finance it for for a bank to lend you the money uh, in order to have that solar panel on the roof. Yeah. So, are you referring to the percentage rate or the actual price to the percentile rates of the financing? Got it. So more like the clearing rate, somewhere in the two to four percent range. Wow. Yeah. The, the, the energy ahead. price will not go below that point, but, but it uh, will be not so much higher at that point either. Well, good days are coming, and I look forward to hearing more about how all of this uh, takes fruit and the companies that are taking action on it through the We Don't Have Time Network, which you can all visit at wedonthavetime.org. The CEO and co-founder of We Don't Have Time.org, Ingmar Rinshog, spending time with us here on Suncast today. Ingmar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, what a fun conversation with Ingmar. And I am certain that you are reeling with opportunities buzzing in your head the same way that I am, knowing that there is such a fantastic platform as We Don't Have Time. I love it when I get a chance to interface with entrepreneurs from across the pond, from around the world. And Ingmar is an exceptional example of folks that are making massive impact and and pushing the needle, really making change happen around the world. If, if that sounds like you or someone you know and you'd like to get them featured on Suncast, just like Ingmar, I'd encourage you to reach out to me, Nico at mysuncast.com. I would also really strongly encourage you to check out the links at the show notes page at mysuncast.com for this episode and all of the other episodes that we have done throughout the ages here. You'll find a post on LinkedIn for sure, where Ingmar and I ask you to engage in the conversation. What did you think of this episode? Go find us on LinkedIn, drop a comment and a like, and thank Ingmar for taking his time to come here and educate you and I today. Thanks so much, SolarWarrior, for sticking around and for being a part of this conversation. Thanks also to our sponsors. You can learn more about how you can contribute to the overall Suncast tribe ability to grow as a sponsor and make this content free to everyone else at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsors. You can also check out all of the offers that have ever been offered by all of our sponsors at that same page if you would like. We're going to be back again next week with more content twice a week 
filling your earballs with great tactical, practical insights and advice to fuel your clean energy career. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.